They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations in the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. Today we are sitting down with Mark Huber. He's the pastor of Sanctuary Church in Marshfield, Massachusetts. We're also here with his dog, Graham, so you might uh, hear from him throughout our conversation today. A little pitter-patter here and there. Right. So welcome, Mark. Glad you could be with us today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So uh, we just worshipped with Mark and, and his wife, Sarah, um, in Sanctuary Congregation Church, um, and it was a great, great worship service. So thank you for that, and your message was, was amazing as well. Thanks. I didn't see you guys nodding off at all in the back row there. <laughs> Dim lighting. actively engaged. Yes, oh, right. yes. We also brought our sons with, so they were part of it today, too, and that was also kind of cool that to was actually neat. worship with them rather than uh, from across the space. Yeah, it was good. Nice. So we want to just get to know you a little bit, and we have uh, some some questions here for you. So just to start off, you know, tell us a little bit about your call to ministry. You know, what brought you to this place? Yeah, I don't think you're original uh, native New Englander, so you're you're kind of a transplant here in New England, right? That is true. Yeah, I grew up in a cornfield in Ohio, and uh, my sister referred to us as T.O. Theological Offspring. My father's not a pastor, but he worked at a seminary, um, taught church history for years and years. And I swore that I would never be a pastor and never do anything like what we're currently doing. Um, and, well, here I am. Um, here you are. <laughs> after yeah, that, that worked out well. a journey that many of us probably take, um, found found myself uh, called to come to New England and the um, call was to start a new congregation here in Marshfield, Mass., which is a sleepy little beach town most of the year, and in the summers, uh, affectionately referred to as Marsh Vegas. Marsh. Things nice. pick up a little bit. Um, and we have been here five years now. Awesome. So what was that uh, internal call that you did receive eventually? You know, how did, how did that happen? Was it some sort of light bulb moment, or was it kind of a general process? of just God nudging you to go to seminary and to be a pastor? How, how did that happen? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I was all set to do anything else. And then um, <laughs> my uh, senior year of college, I uh, found myself just really drawn to the idea of seminary. Um, didn't know why. I was going to go to law school. Before that, I was going to be a doctor. Turned out I don't agree with science. Um, and by agree, I don't. I can't do it. I don't understand <laughs> um, genetics or biology or anything else. Oh, our pizza's here. Our pizza's we here. We should pause our conversation. Two bald pastors. And we're back. That was great pizza. Thank, Thank you. you. Mm. Thanks for the pizza. Yep. Marshall's finest. So just before the pizza break, you were talking a little bit about your... Uh, your call, your, the sense of call that you felt and, and followed here. So a long story short, I uh, ended up in um, seminary and figured the last thing I would do is be a pastor. But the community and just being able to take that kind of time in life was great. And then as I became closer to graduation, uh, through a couple experiences, I had had uh, Jacob's Porch, uh, Lutheran Campus Ministry at Ohio State, yep. um, traveling around for a little while um, with a group called Youth Encounter. Yep. 
playing a lot of music. Um, decided that um, I, I felt a really strong call to, towards new ministry and trying to develop something and just uh, be able to be creative and you know sort of think outside of the box. And so, um, yeah, that that was sort of the place I had landed by the time I got to the end of seminary. But there isn't a lot of, I don't know, a clarity direction around that in our church. We sort of do projects one at a time as they come up, so I didn't know where that would lead. And um, long story short, through assignment and that whole process, got uh, offered this idea to start a new church in a little beach town in New England. So tell us a little bit about that. So you, uh, you got the call to be a mission developer, and you ended up in Marshfield. And then you showed up, and then what? What'd you do? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I ask myself that do, same question actually, every day. Uh, we'd love to know how do you I, uh, actually start a church? To, we've yeah, both, we've both only served established congregations. Sort of in, in the end of two thousand nine, uh, I moved out to Marshfield and accepted this call to start a new congregation here, and had no idea what that meant. Um, like everyone, you know, went to seminary, typical kind of you know training experience that we've all had. And so I went to Starbucks, and I never left for about a year. Um, spent most of my time for that first year kicking around town, volunteering. I did a bunch of stuff with Habitat for Humanity and um, spent a lot of time at Starbucks and just sort of being places, um, trying to figure out who lived here, what this place was like, what God was doing, what we were called to be about as Lutherans in this area. Um, and at that point, were people recognizing you? Like, oh, that's Mark? Or, or were you still kind of under the radar for the most part? Well, I don't think so. I, I've never, my pastoral identity has never been around a collar or any particular sort of identifying marks right. in an exterior kind of sense. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, back then I was driving a Saturn. Nothing really uh, nice. exciting or <laughs> obvious about my um, presence at all. So it really was just relationship building. Just meeting people, getting to know people, seeing what was going on. And one of those first relationships that I developed was with a local Methodist pastor who served the congreg- Methodist congregation uh, just up the road in Situate, Mass. Mm-hmm. And we began talking and, and just really connected as part of a small group of their church for a while so that I have a place to worship. Yeah, right. um, we were a church without people, money, or building, so there wasn't a lot of uh, opportunity to worship or be fed in, in that. Um, Some people think that's the kind of church that every church should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just drive enough people out of here. We can finally do what we want, yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you built this relationship with uh, the Methodist pastor up the road, and uh, Sanctuary now is a, a Lutheran Methodist uh, congregation. Is that is that true? Right, yeah. So how did that connection come about? So um, Rick and I, uh, who's the, the pastor at Harbor United Methodist in Situate, we began talking and realizing um, that we both had a passion for connecting to people who weren't necessarily part of a congregation or a church and hadn't been for a while. And uh, Marshwood United Methodist Church, I learned after moving out and being here for about a year, was right at the brink of closure. Um, They're worshiping 10 or 12 on a Sunday. Uh, You've seen the facility and the place that they have here. The congregation was only about uh, 60 years old and completely unable to sustain the um, place that they had created uh, with the folks that were still around. And so Rick was invited to come for just a, a few hours a week and begin that process of closing this congregation, trying to f- figure out if it would be a new start or restart or something out of that space. And we both realized we were talking to the same people about the same things. The Methodists and Lutherans, the ELCA and the UMC both had established uh, full communion agreements. Yeah. And so we were um, trying to sort of push the boundaries of that and see where that might lead us. Uh, whether we could do more than just a shared Bible study or pub theology together, but really 
embraced that idea of full communion and sharing a mission in a town and dreamed up this idea of a new church start. So um, you got through, how many hoops did you have to jump through to get both sides, the Lutherans and the Methodists, to say, okay, yes, we want to do this together? I think the the biggest challenge, and it's probably all of our challenges, challenge, depending on where we are, uh, is just the mental hurdle of we've never done that. Yeah, right. That's a new idea. We hadn't thought of that. That's not the plan. And so that, that initial moment when we said, hey, why don't we do this together? Uh, I think the first reaction was um, that reaction, that visceral reaction we all have out of fear and anxiety of something new and uh, you know that that's not what we funded with our mission grants that's not the vision that we had of the nice shining new elca church popping up in the suburbs um we were just sort of pushing the boundaries of that in a way that made folks a little uncomfortable um but we were also celebrating the first full year of our full communion agreement together and we I think essentially called our denominations bluff and said, if we really (laughs) are celebrating this, then let's start a church together. And the way I describe that to folks now, if if you're part of sanctuary, you have no idea what it means to be Methodist and Lutheran in this odd sort of structural ecclesial relationship. You just know that you're part of church. Um, It's a church that's grace centric, but also cares about what we do with that grace and how we live our lives. And it balances the best of our traditions. Um, But you experience that in a, practical way not in a theological way and uh, the way that i describe that to folks is you know basically being dual citizens yeah if a canadian and american have a child together that child doesn't say am i canadian am i american they don't they don't try to they don't try to figure out that identity they just know that they are they're both um, and that's how we are so we're a a product of both of our denominations but we're both inseparable one joined together so when you um, you got both sides to agree, you had been called here. You've been talking to people for a number of months in Starbucks and in other places, just volunteering and being part of that. How did you get to the point where okay, now we're going to start, like we're going to launch? What, yeah, what tell us it's about that? it's okay. fascinating. So the the evangelicals who basically chart, start churches and far more than us mainline Protest, Protestants, um, they have written a million books about how to start a congregation. Um, and it's sort of like throwing darts at a wall and hoping one of them hits the bullseye. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of really good ideas and pontificating and a lot of things that are just words and bullet points and you know suggestions that um, don't necessarily apply in every context. Mm-hmm. And the very first thing that everybody says is don't start with worship. Whatever you do, don't gather people together and worship. You want to wait until you have a critical mass of 150 people and then you start your first worship service. But I'm a good Lutheran trained pastor, right? I don't know what else to do. We had six, eight of us that we had gathered together just, you know, around town, met each other, a few little, you know, Bible study kind of things, mostly just sitting around Starbucks talking about faith and life and okay, that kind yeah, of stuff yeah. mm-hmm. um, and decided we didn't know what else to do. And so we started this 404 uh, service on a deck at uh, okay. a couple's house. It was them and their three kids and one or two other people and we'd have you know seven you know maybe on a good week nine people would gather at their house Mm -hmm. we'd eat dinner together and we'd sit on their deck and we'd worship and uh, we did that for probably about six months and slowly grew it to say by the end we probably had 20 people that were regularly connected to that in some way in and out Um, and then as the relationship formalized between the lutherans and the methodists the methodists said we have this big beautiful church building in the middle of town we should 
move this there and you know call Which this is church rare, right because yeah. a lot of the mission starts don't get a facility exactly yeah. if we in this town if we were to try to start a congregation from scratch and build some sort of church we're talking 30 years yeah uh, you know, real estate is so expensive there's no really space available for that anyway um and the um surveys that you can get that sort of describe the demographics of a town help you to get to know people's mindset around religion and church and spirituality and all that kind of thing um, for this area are very traditional in, in terms of architecture and space so while as a pastor it might be new and exciting to do house church and be on someone's deck most people are looking for a building that looks like a church and they'll come to a building that looks like a church but strip mall school gym somebody's deck uh, I'm not quite down a little that, weird yeah. Um, and so it was huge for us to have that credibility, that space. I mean, really, this is just God placing the pieces all in the same location together and just waiting for us to look around and realize we have a building, yeah. but we have a full-time pastor. We have a community that's growing. One of the unique things, I think, about you and, and Sarah as well is your musical ability. So I think some of the, the starting with worship and, and what you guys can bring to that, and I think what we experienced tonight in your musical leadership, you know, I think really was able to connect with people in that way um, and, and bring them kind of closer and, and connect them to you and, and to what you were doing as well, I think. I mean, how, how, how have you experienced that side of it in, in your ministry and what you have done? We have a so we have a three part vision that's been around since we became sanctuary, and that's to create sacred space, connect to God, and respond to what God's already up to. Mm-hmm. And the create sacred space idea comes back to the reality that you know, in the early 2000s, if you asked, you know, your average person on the street, do you have somewhere where you, uh, you know, would consider yourself a member, you know, a church that you attend, are you a part of, you know, whatever kind of religious tradition that you um, generally grew up in, most people would say yes. Um, and as of 2010, that was about 38%. Yeah. A really, really sharp decline. Um, from almost the majority of the community, the culture, to uh, less than 40% who would right. say, yes, I have a church, I'm religious, I go somewhere. Um, and so when, when we started thinking about what we were to be a sanctuary, even that name, it really came out of this idea of creating the kind of space where people feel comfortable to re-engage their faith, their spirituality. Um, and we found that aesthetics is a big part of that and music and just creating an environment where people feel really creative and comfortable to explore and, and connect in whatever way feeds them. Right. Um, and so that's part of how uh, our sort of arts and music focus has developed. And the other secret to that is that if you have a um, professional musician who plays an instrument like an organ, you have one person providing your music. And you get a special right. music on occasion and once in a while have a choir include other people. Um, but for us being really band driven and playing a lot of, uh, music that people might recognize from other venues outside of just church, mm-hmm. um, we're able to, uh, now we have, I think three bands over 30 people that oh, wow. help create that music yeah. on any given Sunday. Wow. Um, in addition to a lot of art projects, um, we every year around Christmas and Easter, especially, and sometimes in the summer, we'll dream up a community art project. So right now we're in the process of hanging 10,000 paper chain links on our wall to make a giant mural for Christmas. Um, and, you know, hundreds of people are involved in putting all those links together and gathering all of that. And, you know, it takes one vision and a plan and some organization. But for the most part, it's a community effort to create something new and, and engage faith in some sort of tactile way. 
Um, and, and so that's part of why music and art and all those things have been so important to us and, and that first part of our vision to create that sacred space. And we experienced that uh, tonight as well. You've got times where you can move around. It's very tactile. There's uh, things you can go do. Um, you get to be comfortable, and uh, you can draw on the table if you want with the paper there, or you can get a coffee. Or it just it's it's very usually uh, adults do more drawing than the kids. I can imagine. The, uh, yeah, coloring yeah. tables. I mean, I when I'm in tempted. restaurants that have that, I'm usually <laughs> the one drawing. Right? Yeah, I was exactly. real tempted tonight. I did yeah. felt a little. <laughs> Well, we know that in so many ways, you know, education, you know, and just in general in life personalities, we know a lot of people are tactile people, they're yeah, kinesthetic right. learners, they need to move to engage. And I think spirituality is the same way. Yeah. So for a lot of folks coming and sitting and receiving is not the best way for them to really experience God. Yeah. And it's important to do all those things and create space for all of it to happen. How about uh, some of the growing pains that you've experienced just as a leader, as a, you're trying to get this organization going, uh, dealing with two bureaucracies? Uh, what, what have been some of the, uh, the hard moments for you? That's a, Just to hit the bureaucracies first, I think we, uh, we as pastors or church folks complain about our systems. Um, we've, most of us have never had corporate jobs. Yeah, um, right, this exactly. is pretty easy. <laughs> no TPS reports to stamp and get out every morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can write numbers on two different forms once a year. Um, and for the most part, I think our, um, our denominational structures, especially in New England, are, are pretty loose and allow for congregations to be congregations, um, since we have such a congregational tradition in this yeah. area anyway. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the one thing that I read, I think just offhand in a book once, those first few months sitting in Starbucks, not knowing anyone, not talking to a lot of people, you just read and listen and try to soak in whatever. And it's always stuck with me. Uh, the planting a congregation especially and probably being a pastor in general is a constant uh, vacillation between the absolute best job best day of your life and oh god oh god <laughs> why have why yeah, have you put absolutely. me in this place yeah, right. what absolutely. on earth am i doing yeah, yeah. Um, we live in a beach town and you know I, I often just think of moments where i've been staring at the infiniteness of the ocean and it's either just beautiful and glorious and creation stretching on forever or destructive and scary and what's next, you yeah. know, what's going to yeah. come. Yeah, um, and I think this job is, is, is like that still, even as a more established congregation now daily, um, these moments where you just say, man, this is good. And God is here and we get it. And other moments where you're trying to figure out which way is up and what we're about and how are we going to pay the bills and yeah, you know, of course. Yeah. all that kind of stuff. So earlier this year, uh, you became an official congregation. That's uh, true. And so that's that's really great. So now that that you're you're official and and you know things are moving, you started out with just yourself in Starbucks, and now you're worshiping three different services. Uh, you know, 140 on a Sunday. Uh, where do you see the future of Sanctuary? Is there is there a vision that you have, or do you just take it as it comes? I mean, what what do you what are your hopes for for the future? I don't know. I I think we're in a, a real transition time as a congregation to realize that we're we're grown up, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a time, especially you know when you're younger, where you can just sort of wake up and say, "What do I want to do today?" And that's all right. And uh, now we're to a point as a congregation where we have more responsibility and more 
need to you know really sort of be organized and make sure that we're keeping all these things going you know we did two years ago we had no youth group um, and tonight we had 28 kids and their parents just in our fourth to sixth grade group going out to Carroll. Yeah, um, awesome. And now that those kind of things are developed, it, there's a lot of care and attention needed, you know, as, as all of you know, I'm sure, trying to figure out new and creative ways to connect to those groups of folks. Um, I, I think that's created a lot of I don't know, responsibility and, and direction for us for the future. Yeah. I think one of the notorious things churches do is they'll they'll see a community like yours and they'll say aha sanctuary that's where it's at how do i copy that and do exactly what they're doing so my church will look like that um obviously every context is different and that's not probably the best way to go but uh, as someone who's who's struggled with starting something from nothing and now are managing uh this kind of vibrant community and taking it somewhere do you have advice for leaders or people in uh, faith communities as far as uh being creative or, or starting new things, maybe not emulating what you're doing, but kind of taking some of that uh, strategic uh, concept. Yeah, uh, no, no, I have no ideas. <laughs> great, yeah. great, thanks. Uh, it's been, this has been a great conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I really, I wrestle with this a lot because I feel like yeah. we've learned a lot in this place. Um, and definitely in, in my congregation, in my conversations with people who are still in New England and other places starting new churches, there are definitely a lot of moments where it's easy to say, oh, don't do that. Try this. This is a good way to go. Um, there are all those little things. But I think in a in a general sense, the the only real wisdom that I've gained for myself in the last few years of doing this is that like attracts like. Um, this is my, my one big one. So if you have an outward focus towards the community, if you see possibility and are creative, if you create... A, vibe a sense of your own being where you're open to possibility and to meeting people who you know might not agree with you on everything and those kind of things and you will attract people with that same kind sure, of mindset yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. they'll notice you you'll notice them you'll have conversations that make more of you um, and if you get stuck which I do I'm sure we all do in that rut where oh it'd just be really easy if we all did it this way and we did you know this for a while because it's simpler than trying to be creative or connect to anyone new um, then you attract people that just want to mm -hmm. sort of sit back and say yeah this is nice this is good yeah, right. yeah, um, yeah. and so so that's the one thing is to realize that we all have those people um, Mike Breen in 3DM he calls them people of peace but basically people who we just connect with who we naturally resonate with and and that there's a huge opportunity there to uh, create community with just those folks that we naturally resonate with who do you look to for guidance? Uh, who are your conversation uh, partners? Jesus. Oh, gee, I've heard of him. <laughs> no, I mean, are there are there people that are kind of mentors to you or people that uh, you like to talk with and say, ah, they're helping push me a little bit? I don't know. I think I love the internet. Can I say that? Is that yeah, all right? Yeah, that's, I, mean, like, um, I think the beauty of networks is the future of church. Mm -hmm. So you know, it used to be that we'd have a, a colleague group of people that sort of lived in our area. Yeah, right. and maybe they could resonate to context. But, you know, even within the 10 square miles around our church, the context can be very different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it used to be that we would have even, you know, a denomination or regional gatherings or whatever. And, and those would be the places where we'd really gain new ideas and, and latch on and connect to folks. And I think what we've discovered here is that, uh, you know, sort of self-creating networks, uh, people that are interested in what one another are doing, want to share that, uh, share ideas, uh, are really 
powerful and profound. And so through Facebook and meeting people and staying in touch uh, from different sort of gatherings and conferences and that kind of stuff, we have a really great uh, network that's developed around this place of, of you know, just other people being church in other places yeah. and, and context that connects and resembles more closely ours than maybe some of the um, folks that geographically are close to us. Sure, of course. Um, and yeah. so that, that's been a huge support for just new ideas and energy and, um, and also feedback for testing out, you know, how do we make this transition or what about this idea? How did that work for you? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the great. really neat ideas uh, that happened this past year was couch church. So uh, could you talk a little bit about where that idea came from and how, how uh, your, I guess your experience from leading that? Yeah, that idea came from uh, Mother Nature. <laughs> we, as you know, because Father you, Winter. you, yeah. uh, you we're at the parsonage right now next to the sanctuary and you came down the 12 steps between the church and the house. Um, you know, last year, I, I don't know what it was where you were, but we had. Oh yeah, we were snowed in. Yeah. Enough, we actually, we were part of it. Enough snow that we couldn't even walk up the 12 yep. stairs to the church. Um, and that particular blizzard hit right on a Sunday morning. Right, yeah. and we just yeah, all yeah, saw yeah, it coming. Um, and we knew a lot of other congregations would be closed. But we also have Fios Quantum at the Parsonage. So uh, nice, fast internet. And all of our instruments were here. And um, the word of the Lord, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So we uh, we just figured, why not? We're up already. We might as well do church from our couch. And uh, we have a account on YouTube that allows us to live stream whatever we want. Yeah. I don't know what else we would want to do. But that worked really well. Um, so we literally opened up a laptop and set up a microphone and just did what we do. Um, the thing that was really cool is that we created a, a Facebook event concurrent yep. with the YouTube stream. Yep. Um, and I, I think at last count, it's always, you know, it takes the, some digesting to figure out what the numbers actually are, but we had about a thousand people on YouTube at the same time, just being church together. Awesome. Um, and another close to 300 on Facebook, you know, we would say, share your prayer requests and pray for one another. And yeah, I thought that was really great because we were um, at our house. Uh, our daughter had a sleepover, and I was the only adult home uh, at the time that weekend. So uh, the three of us in our pajamas were part of Couch Church, and uh, the kids, they really got into that part when there was it wasn't we weren't watching something. We were actually participating, uh, contributing. Yeah. You know, now type in what you want to do about prayer, or you had a couple other questions too that were really engaging. It was cool and to see that resonate for a while really too. I mean, yeah, even really hours after great. church was done, people kept praying with one another, yeah. and you know, just the sharing of the peace, and just people saying, exactly. "Hey, I haven't seen you forever. It's right. so good. Peace be with you." And then the comment yeah. thread continued after the event was over, which was yeah. also really great. So it was kind of almost like a virtual coffee hour in a sense, because it was just it just kind of kept, kept going, going kept and then. Going, yeah. uh, you know, I had some conversations with people from various parts of the country I didn't know yeah. before. Well, and, and we great. we thought, you know, 20 people from around Marshfield who were snowed in would yeah, open sure. up their laptop or throw another TV or whatever and, and just join in for an hour. And it just turned into to be this whole other thing. And then my favorite question that happened immediately after we were done was, oh, are you going to do that every week? Yeah. Of, <laughs> of course not. Like, I really hope we're not snowed in the house every week. It's so much better to get together with people near you, at the, you know. Um, and I think the thing we learned there is to uh, just try stuff and who knows and it was a good one-off and if we have a blizzard this year we'll probably do it again Um, but I I can't imagine the you know that 
that community that we created there it was more than just one special thing and, and i think that's the other thing to realize and, and we have this attitude with our art projects too we're going to spend a month creating this incredible christmas mural and in two months it's going to be ripped off the wall because you can't create something new if you leave the old thing there no matter how beautiful yeah. uh, and so constantly creating space for a new canvas and a new idea is yeah. really important too and i think couch church has been filed away in the uh, yeah that was fun one of my mentors, uh, Bill Carter, who's pastor at St. Matthew in Avon, Connecticut, he always said, you got to know the difference between an annual and a perennial. <laughs> and uh, I always yeah. keep that cataloged in my head. Okay, this was a great idea, but exactly. Can you recapture it or is it really, okay, let's do yep. the next thing now. And, and what is the thing good. that works under that? And, you know, we all desire to be connected to right. each Being other. together, exactly. And, yeah. and how cool is it that across the country, you know, people were able in that moment, because we were sharing that experience, to also share and worship and spend that kind of time. Yeah, very cool. So you guys have a, a CD you just put out. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Oh, that is totally unrelated to the pastor thing. Yeah, um, it's, it, but it's fun. Sarah and I met, uh, we met as musicians playing together with some friends uh, at our college. We went to Wittenberg University uh, and have just been playing music as long as we've known each other. And also dreaming, one, that there would be more Advent albums in the world. And there's plenty of Christmas CDs. Right. There's not a lot of Advent albums. Um, and also to get into a studio and record some of the stuff we'd written. Uh, and so we finally, I don't think we had the time, but I started telling people that we were going to go on tour and sell a CD, and so we had to. Um, <laughs> so, so we spent about 30 hours this, uh, this fall recording oh, okay. and, and putting together a couple original tunes. Um, we've also been around the Synod sharing that. Um, it's been a lot of fun. So, with, so you've been a part of this podcast since the beginning. Uh, with the, You and Sarah wrote and performed our theme song. So can you talk a little bit about the inspiration behind the, the theme song that you you it, for us? it seems like this was just yesterday. <laughs> um, well, uh, there was the bald pasture bit. Yeah. yeah. And there was the uh, faith and life bit. That Those are all the lyrics. That's all <laughs> right. um, it's direct, though. We like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you got it. Overly flowerly. Why, why say more than you have to say? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty fun. And not a lot rhymes with bald. No, no, no. Not... I will say that it's funny. The first time I played it for my kids, they were humming it the whole next day. Oh, there they, you go. Uh, it's really they play, they it really did is. play it over yeah. and over again. and they. If this pastor thing doesn't work out, maybe we'll go into jingles. <laughs> go into jingles. There you, there you go. It's where it's at. Yeah. That's what churches yeah. need, you know? People more, would flock. More jingles. More jingles. <laughs> All right, so from a faith perspective, what are some things that uh, keep you going uh, in the midst of busy days or just uh, the mayhem of what uh, the job is or just the days are? You know, I I don't know if I should say this on a podcast that people will listen to, but it occurred to me a long time ago, really when I began in seminary internship, I mean, just going back a little ways, that the, the thing that really helps me sort of spiritually connect to what God is doing in life and even, you know, to put together sermons, to, you know, reflect on myself as an extroverted thinker, I can't think without another human being present and interacting with me. Um, and so really one-on-one -on -one conversations with people around, you know, walking the dogs or going to the beach. Um, we, if you ask any member of sanctuary, they can tell you at least a dozen projects that have roped them into a church. Um, constantly, you know, sitting outside and moving mulch or we're painting a bathroom or, you know, you name it. Um, and it's in all those moments that I really discover God and, and realize you know what god 
is looking for me to say to preach but also you know just for my own spirituality I, i feel like i connect and have a lot of insights in all those moments um and it it sort of becomes the running joke around sanctuary uh, because I, I think I'm an extroverted person in terms of spirituality too. Yeah, and I, I yeah, can't have those absolutely. spiritual God moments unless I'm dragging other people along. Um, and, and so that's most of my week is just spending time doing all sorts of random things with other people and, and weaving that in. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So if people want to kind of connect with you more, what are some of the ways that people can, can do that? Uh, sanctuarymarshfield.org and all of our contact info is on there. Um, we have the 404 service partially still because we have, you know, folks around here that like to come in the evening or work during the day. Um, but also a a big chunk of that is just so people can come and hang out and spend time at sanctuary. Um, for a lot of us, especially who work professionally in churches, it's nice to be able to come and worship and just be, um, very, you know, sort of, you could attest, right? More of a relaxed experience and just a way to, so, yeah. um, to sink back at the end of the night. Um, so we in- invite people to come out this way. Um, and also we love to travel around and get new ideas. Um, so to look up our contact info and reach out and we'd love to connect. Well, thanks Mark. This has been great having you with us today. Yeah. really appreciate the time. Yeah. Thanks for having us. And um, thanks for hosting us this whole evening. It's it, been uh, nice to be together. Yeah. Grab a cookie before you go. Absolutely. Thank you. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. That's my dog saying he wants to go outside. Hold on (laughs) a second. (sighs) Graham's an integral part of this conversation. Yes. He's been around since the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) He's the brains of the operation. The other thought I had was deep and profound and going to change your life, but Graham totally took it (laughs) right out of my head. I don't, and yeah, I just, I removed something really disgusting from my dog's mouth (laughs) as you were asking that question. Maybe you could tee that question up again. That would be great.